middle of the night, 3 a.m., I wanted a doctor. You know, it's impossible to get a doctor at 3 a.m. unless the doctor is your friend. So I had Babylon in my hand and there you go. There was a Babylon doctor who looked at my son. That was the day I actually realized the power of, of industries like this. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. As part of our pursuit of all things PLG, we recently launched a survey about product data and analytics, which will form the State of Product Data Report. If you're interested in seeing which tools, data sources, and metrics other product people are using, please take part in our research and help create a cross-industry report. Okay, I am so excited for today's session. Um, We have with us today Nam uh, and Nam Sarma, who is the Chief Product Officer at MyGP. For those of you who don't know MyGP, it is a digital health app uh, that provides all healthcare needs and supports all healthcare needs. Uh, Nam was previously a Senior Director of Product at Viacom CBS, and she started her career as a software engineer in India. She transitioned into the product uh, area after deciding that she would pursue her MBA, and she now sits on the board of the Open University Business School and was recently featured on Management Today's 35 under 35 list. So she's a hot commodity, and we're excited to have her here today on For the Love of Product. Nam, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Tiama. My pleasure. Where are you dialing in from today? Oh, I'm in sunny Barnet in North London, not very far from you. (laughs) 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 <laughs> For those of us listening, uh, it's a, it's an exciting day when it's sunny in London. So not only am I happy to have Nam here because of who she is, but there's sunshine outside. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so Nam, um, I'm excited to have you here today, and it'll be really fun to definitely talk about your CPO role at MyGP, um, and especially because of everything that's happening right now in the healthcare space with, you know, a global pandemic and all. But before we dive into that, I actually want to talk to you about one of the qualities that make you kind of special in my mind. And sure, there's lots of those. Um, But the fun that I want to focus on is that you have been very successful in two really polarizing type of companies, right? You've worked at something like Viacom, uh, CBS, which is a huge company. Um, And then you've also really flourished in the startup space. Um, I usually feel that people tend to gravitate towards one of those or the other versus thriving in both. I'm curious about, you know, how that's worked in your career and, you know, where that started and what you've learned from working in both types of companies. I think that's a great question and great observation. Um, I do ask, I do get asked that question quite a lot. Uh, I mean, I think, I think the answer is it's something to do with my personality. I guess I am quite restless, um, so I don't let myself be very comfortable um, anywhere. So I think in a large company, I mean, of course, you've got bigger budgets, bigger teams, a bit of kind of slower pace of working, right? Which is which is I think great for one's mental health. <laughs> but then what happens is if you get too comfortable, you 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 could get quite detached from from the rest of the world. Um, and I feel that like if you're too comfortable in a job, that's that that's probably you're not challenging yourself enough. So when I get too comfortable, I then tend to gravitate towards startups. <laughs> then I go to a startup 
and and absolutely drives me insane because then you're talking about super long hours and you know chaos in general and then a few hours a few few years in chaos and then you decide okay i need to probably relax a little bit <laughs> or become normal or something like that and then you go back to a larger company so that has been the trend in my career uh, but also most of the companies where i've joined um i think it sounds yeah cliche but i think the jobs kind of the roles have chosen me rather than me choosing those jobs uh so i would say it's destiny to to a certain extent as well i love that i think that's really uh an interesting perspective so when you get too comfortable pivot and go to startup <laughs> yes <laughs> so were you getting too comfortable at viacom is that what uh, led you to jump to um, to, to my GP. Oh, uh, yeah, it's yes and no. I mean, it's a love. It's a lovely company, Viacom. I think it's one of the best companies I've ever worked. Uh, and I always tell people. And when I left the company, also, I, I I made it very clear that I don't think I'll have this type of experience ever again. It was really good. Um, I think the reason I moved was more of uh, a calling, you know, because I I was in healthcare. I was in Babylon five six years ago, um, and working in health tech is a it's a different type of high, you know, because you're kind of solving some massive issues massive problems of people um and your products are are it can directly impact communities and, and people in general uh, and you have that aha moment on a, on a daily basis i mean my aha moment was actually when i was in babylon i never used babylon which is crazy because i was in my kind of late 20s and at that you know you don't do you don't really fall you don't need a doctor that much i think at a certain age and i just never had to go to a doctor's appointment you know but my aha moment was when my son was born and i remember he was like 2 weeks old and i was not able to understand he was sneezing or something and i you know paranoid mom mom in general and middle of the night 3 am i wanted a doctor basically and obviously in this case you know it's impossible to get a doctor at 3 am unless the doctor is your friend so i had babylon in my hand and there you go there was a babylon doctor who looked at my son 3 am and actually the kind of calmed me down saying okay this is the problem or whatever right that was the re- that was the day i actually realized what we have created which is i think it's just ridiculous right and and that i i think that's when i realized the kind of power of um of of industries like this health and telemedicine things like that so then when i was in entertainment industry i mean it's 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 a lot of fun like you know it's it's, it's amazing fun but when the pandemic hit i kind of felt that i have something to give and i felt like maybe i should go back to healthcare if if there is such a opportunity and i just got lucky i would say um and as i said every job has been a calling like the job has always chosen me so that was the time when the my gp kind of opportunity uh, came up and we i found like okay this is i think the perfect way for me to go back into healthcare so i went back to healthcare and yeah it's been it's been about what seven months now in this company and yeah it's been an amazing journey so far It sounds it sounds amazing and I love the con the story that you said about Babylon. Tell me more about, you know, uh your time there and how maybe how it's compared or how it's similar to what's happening at MyGP. different in many ways because Babylon um at least that time when I joined the focus was very much on private health. So it was very much pri- private healthcare. Um and the demographics that we were targeting was very different. It was kind of young professional. So one of our personas was like I don't know someone a banker who works in Canary Wharf too busy to go to a GP. So they would book an appointment and see a private doctor. So that was kind of a typical persona at that point. And now obviously the the company has changed uh, many times since then. But that time that was like the main demographic 
colleagues. Uh, my GP is quite different. This is my GP works with NHS directly. So it's public health. It's not really private health. So our um, so my users and we've got two more than two million active users on the my GP app uh, from across the UK. And these users, they are the people who are who are passionate about NHS. They love NHS. They love their local GPs. They love any, everything that NHS provides. And that's the reason they use my GP. So it's, it's out and out public health. So I would say that's the biggest difference between both the companies. Um, the similarities is obviously, I mean, it's a highly regulated sector. So whatever you do, any kind of healthcare innovation or product innovation you want to do, you have to sink a number of times because there is a regulation around it. Uh, so I would say those things are very similar. Um, and the other thing is um, the company is being product led. So Babylon has always been a very product led company since day one. Um, my GP is on on the verge of becoming product led. I would say it it hasn't been, um, but I've, I'm I've been on the journey to kind of make it more and more product led. Uh, so very different dynamics as well. Uh, Babylon, I would say, is a way a, a much more kind of um, it's a startup, right? So startup vibe is just very very different. Uh, my GP, I won't call as a startup we are more of an SME uh, so we've been in business for 17 years now so yeah so quite uh, we are more of a teenager at this point <laughs> yeah well and I think that's something that a lot of our listeners would love to hear more about because it's um you know there's certain companies that we as product professionals as we decide where we're going to go work um someone that's product-led you know, that's a very attractive, attractive uh, company because you're not going to have to come in and explain kind of what your function does and how you can add value. Yeah. But um, talk to me about why outside of, you know, getting closer to being mm -hmm. able to make an impact on COVID, you were willing to come into a company that is transitioning towards being product led. I just saw, I mean, I saw the opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people, uh, just like most product people, I guess we are more like glass, uh, glass full rather than glass empty, as they say. So more kind of optimists, uh, by, by nature, I guess. So I saw the opportunity, um, more than, uh, worrying much about, uh, it not being product led at that point. Um, and also I think there is not, I don't think there's not much fun really in going into an environment where everything is perfect right because you don't get to you know how would you make your mark right and and as a as a professional how would you grow if if everything is is perfect already so I felt that it would be good to come to an environment uh, a company that's undergoing a transformation uh, of sorts um, and transformation programs are amazing especially if it's product-led transformation because that's that's where um, as a CPO I can really show my skills and I can actually add value and I think my stakeholders can immediately see that the value that I'm adding. So I saw this more of an opportunity. Um, I was I was a little well, not worried. I was thinking that yes, I might have to explain my role a lot. Uh, that would that would happen, especially in a transformation type thing, type program, and that does happen on a daily basis. <laughs> As I wasn't wrong, uh, but I think what you get out of like at the end of a five day hectic week, uh, when I kind of think you know, over the weekend, I feel that every week we are growing as a company uh, into becoming a product-led um, organization. And I think, you know, that gives you a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so how do you explain your role when you have to do that? What do you say? Oh my God. Um, actually, you know what? I was I was just talking to my team. We are going to do like a day in a life of a PM, that type of a thing very soon. <laughs> We do these Friday forum type things uh, every week. So uh, one of, yeah, I think end of March, we're going to do that because a lot of people ask us this question, like, what do you guys do? Because a lot of people think product management is project management. 
but but actually it's not right and then it's so hard to actually explain product management in one sentence right i mean i'm looking just behind you is repeatable scalable and have fun that's what you've written there actually that's what product is really right it has to be repeatable scalable solving a user problem most importantly you know um so so my kind of pitch when people ask me what i do in a very simple way i would say i solve problems right and it does happen it so happens that they are mostly users problems and kind of product problems right but ultimately i think every product manager is a problem solver um you know and if you're not a problem solver you might not thrive in a pm role so that's generally my kind of elevator pitch about products I think that's great. Um, I'm curious. So you probably, you know, represent a very attractive candidate to a lot of our listeners because we have a lot of listeners who are founders or they, you know, they are working at companies where they want to attract a CPO type candidate. If they are someone who's more on the verge of becoming product led or they're trying to make that transformation journey, you already said one thing that really was impactful for you coming to my GP, which was that, you know, you get to, you know, kind of see how you're going to make your mark on the company, right? Yeah. And so that's something that absolutely hiring managers who are trying to bring in a CPO to a maybe not as product-led, maybe it's more product-assisted or maybe it's still sales-led, but it wants to go towards that. What other things would you advise hiring managers or CEOs, founders to emphasize to a CPO to bring them in? Well, I think bring. I think it's important to hire people who challenge the status quo. Um, I mean, I always hire people who are smarter than me or or similar similar to me in, in many ways. Um, you know, but also I try to hire very diverse people in just kind of commun- different communities, cultures, different from different countries, etc. I mean, my team is extremely diverse uh, in terms of. I think each one of us come from a different country, which is which I think is great. <laughs> but also in terms of, um, yeah, we we are quite diverse, and I think that's that's pretty that's really important. But but I think going back to the status quo, that's important because I feel that if you're hiring a candidate and they agree to o- almost every single thing that you're doing or you're saying, you you're not going to get enough from a person like that. I think it's good to hire people who probably have quite strong opinions, um, you know, strong opinions, maybe loosely held so that things are harmonious as well. Uh, but definitely somebody who has strong opinions, you know, who are passionate about making change um, and passionate about what they believe in. I think that's that's really important. And that's really the, the characteristic, I think, of a good product person. And that's irrespective of what uh, the job title is, isn't it? I think, you know, it kind of, st- I mean, when I was a, a product manager, let's say eight, nine years ago, starting as a product manager, even that, then I had a very similar characteristics to what I have now, right? So I haven't like changed dras- dramatically in all these years. So I would say that is one quality that probably has stayed with me being, I do have quite strong opinions. Um, and if I see that something needs changing, I would voice it out. So a bit of fearlessness is needed as right. well. Yeah. Right. So I suppose to put on the flip side of the hiring manager who's trying to attract a NAM or someone yeah. else, right? It's about letting them know that they're going to have the ability to make that mark and use that determination um, to challenge the status quo in the organization. Uh, is that Absolutely. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that you just mentioned is, you know, eight to eight to nine years ago when you were a PM, I mean, what an amazing journey, right? To go in 10 years from being a PM to being a CPO. Uh, I think we'd all love to know kind of some of the hits, the greatest hits from your journey and how, how you kind of prepared yourself to get to this place. 
Um, it's been so crazy. It's been actually very funny. I was just uh, I was discussing this with somebody else just today, actually over a call, uh, because it's been a lot of stories. And one day at some point when I get to write a book, hopefully <laughs> I have to dedicate uh, one or two chapters to these kind of lovely accidents that I've had because um, so I grew quite fast in product, actually. So I, I was a product manager as a manager, manager, only two years. So I, may, I became a head of product very fast uh, in my career. And again, that was not intended at all. It just happened. There was an opportunity. I took it and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm quite a fearless type of person. So, you know, when I see an opportunity, I jump into it. And I love Richard Branson's. He says it, right? Whatever the job is, just take it and think about it later or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm quite inspired by, by that, actually. So if I get an opportunity, I do jump into it. And then later, I, I kind of, you know, uh, up my game and then make sure that I, I you know, I, I do my best and I'm, I'm hardworking generally. So I think most of the things have happened. Uh, my career has not been conventional. That's for sure. Now, it's just it's super unconventional. I mean, I started as a, as a software engineer in Bangalore, uh, 20, when, 2008, uh, and then worked in the States as well. I was at EMC Corporation. So in Boston, EMC, which is now Dell. So spent some lovely years there. Um, and then what happened was I did my MBA. So moved to the UK to do my MBA. And then after my MBA, I was just, so most people go for consulting, right? You know, you know, after you do an MBA, I think consulting is like 90% of the cohort would, would get into one of the big four or, you know, consulting firms. Uh, or the rest would get into commercial kind of sales marketing, that type of thing. So I was the only person who didn't do any of these. It was just like totally opposite. So again, destiny, right? So I, I went to Kellogg's, um, the conflicts company. So uh, they, their European headquarters is in Manchester. So I got an opportunity to um, do my kind of MBA project there. So three months. And I was in the BI team, which is part of like the tech team. And uh, I kind of loved it. I did very well in it. And uh, everybody in my class, they were preparing for PwC or KPMG or Bain or McKinsey, you know, one of those, right? I, for some reason, I just didn't want to be a consultant. And I thought, no, I'll, because I wanted to use my engineering degree, actually. I, I didn't want to change my career totally. So I thought I'll find something. I'll find my job or whatever. And then that was an amazing time because this is 2012 I'm talking about, where product management in London, at least, was like a baby. It was like a baby field. Like there were like five people who were doing product <laughs> in the whole of London. And um, so I got into the train very early on, I would say. You know, this is when most organizations had portfolio program project managers, you know, Prince 2 was like still cool, you know, that type of thing, right? And I was one of the few people who kind of became product owner. So that was like my first job, right? So I think I got super lucky, got into train very fast. And then since then, I think it was not looking, never looking back, really. I was so excited. I found that, you know, product management is the is the best job for somebody, you know, of my skills. And I kind of did pretty well in that. But also there has been funny stories. Like when I, I worked, um, you know, after Babylon, I, I became a product director in a company called Blow Limited, which is a, it's a beauty company, actually. It's a, it's a beauty tech company. And again, super exciting, a very female orientated company because it's it's like, you know, it's it's all about women's uh, services and all that. So I loved it. Lots of free blow dries and, you know, all sorts of things. 
<laughs> so I loved that. <laughs> exactly loved it. And you know, after that, I was actually thinking of 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 kind of having a baby. Like we were think planning a family and things like that. So startups are, you know, it can be quite hard uh, to have a family and things like that. So I was actually thinking, my husband and I, we decide, we discussed, probably need to slow things down a little bit. So I thought I'm gonna get back into a PM, senior PM type of role. So that was my ambition. So I was like, okay, after blow. I'm going to go back probably to a corporate and join as a senior PM or PM or something like that. So I was interviewing and every interview they were saying, no, 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 you're way too overqualified for a PM. No, you're not, you know. So I would go for a PM role and the companies would come back saying, but what about a head of product or what about a director? And I was like, my goodness, but you're not getting the point. <laughs> I don't want those roles. I want to be a PM. So I was not getting anywhere. And again, destiny, uh, Viacom found me somewhere and they decided that I should be a senior director, actually, not director. So, so from wanting to become a PM again, I ended up in a senior director role. So this is what happened. So this is, again, destiny. Um, of, I love the opportunity, had the baby, you know, it was all fine. Everything is normal. But then, of course, once you do become a senior director, quite a big remit and all that, there's no looking back. And then the next kind of stage, I, and I became a CPO after that. So it's been quite uh, a rocket speed in, in many ways uh, and very hectic, actually. Um, so if you ask me, I, I would have preferred it to be a bit slower, to be honest. But as I said, most of the jobs have been very accidental than something that I was actively pursuing. Yeah. Well, first of all, I already hope you're going to write your book because I think the title Lovely Accidents is amazing. Like <laughs> I love you decided the name as well. I love it. <laughs> it sounds, I can't wait to read it. So please, uh, hopefully that makes it onto your to-do list over the sure. next few years. <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's really interesting. And one of the things that I love hearing you say, right, is the Branson quote around like, if you see an amazing opportunity, say yes, right? And figure out how to do it later. I think especially I'd love to get your perspective, you know, as a woman in product and as a female CPO, um, how, how do you try to encourage your teams to, you know, embrace that in a way that is comfortable for them? Because not everybody feels as extroverted and feels as confident, but yet I think there's, there's a lot to learn from what you say. So I'm curious how you, you try to shape and mentor people to take that on board. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, I, I do kind of, I speak to a lot of my friends and family, my parents, etc., who are kind of, who mentor me or coach me in some of these things, because um, even within my family, I'm, I'm the extrovert, but my sister is an introvert. So there are kind of life lessons to be learned that way, because my ambitions could be very different from someone else's, right? Everyone has their own pace of growth and their ambitions can be very different. Um, so I think being, you know, being an inclusive leader, I think is part of that, right? You get to manage. Um, I think we are very fortunate. We, we especially, First of all, we get to work in London, which is so diverse as a place. Uh, and we get to kind of work with some amazing bunch of people from, you know, all over the world. Um, and everybody has had their own different life journeys, right? Or, or career journeys even. So that has been a learning process. I would say five years ago, probably I wasn't that great at this, you know, because I just wouldn't know that much. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have known enough people. Now I think I know more people and more perspectives, et cetera, and I've become more mature. And I'm guessing after five years, after five years hence, I would probably be even a better leader. So I think leadership is again, a journey, right? You, you, you become a better leader as you grow, I think, as, as an individual. Um, so I think for me, I mean, first of all, I think becoming, being a female leader attracts 
immediately attracts a lot of different types of people immediately, I feel. Because when I interview uh, you know, people now to join my team, I get told, I'd love to join a team because you know, I'm, I'm a female product manager. I would love to have a female boss. I've had male product managers who said to me, they've never had a female boss. They, they would love to have, you know, so everybody has a different perspective. Um, you know, again, you know, different types of communities. I think I, I do attract quite a, 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 quite a broad type of demographics, I would say, right? Um, and we are millennial, you know, again, there's a lot of millennial PMs out there who say that they would love to have a millennial boss because, you know, that so that type of thing, right? So um, I think I, I haven't realized, I mean, I didn't even know what I sign up to, like when I took a role like this. But now when I interview more and more people and talk to others, I think I realized that I have such a huge kind of responsibility, you know, in being that inclusive leader. Um, but it's kind of work in progress, I think. It takes time. And as I, as I said, I'm probably not even 20% in my journey as a leader. I think next five years and 10 years, I'll just, I'll probably be a much better leader. Wow. Well, we'll have to have you back in five years to hear how things are changing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So I have a question for you. One of the things you said earlier that I thought was really cool, and I wish I wish we all had this option, uh, is that you said you think that everyone on your team is probably from a different country. What an amazing, diverse set of people you have. Um, one of the things that is very, I think, very hot topic uh, and trend within the product and kind of product-led growth community right now is the idea of inclusive design um, and how you build products that work for everybody. What are you guys doing at MyGP in that area today? Um, I would say we are kind of in the process. I mean, I'm again, I'm hiring a lead designer. So all the listeners, please uh, hit me up because it's been a it's been a challenge to find this designer person. Uh, but the, I've got amazing plans for for this role actually to work exactly on that. So inclusive design, especially on the app side of things, because uh, B2B is a bit more kind of it's a bit different as as you can imagine. B2B businesses are quite different. But on the B2C side, I mean, two million people. The demographics are super duper interesting. You know, I, I do look at the you know slice and dice the data all the time so you know amazing representation in terms of gender age um, ethnicities and all that um, so the kind of the responsibility I guess I and, and my team had is how how do we ensure that the app represents all these people right um, so this is what I'm guessing the new designer whenever we hire this person together we can we can ensure that this happens uh, again we are in very beginning of that journey uh, and I do envy those companies who are, who have kind of mastered it already. <laughs> but in, for me, I would say yeah, we're very much in the beginning of that. Accessibility is a huge conversation because um, again, we have a lot of um, very elderly, mature kind of you know citizens who who use the app, um, and we have to ensure that it's accessible to all. So we do give a lot of precedence to accessibility features for the app. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was speaking to someone the other day who offers um, consulting in this area and, and her business is called Inclusive by Design. And I mean, it's just super interesting to see the case studies yeah. that she was sharing on how a company's, you know, as you said, it starts a lot with the design and the user research and understanding the business problem that you're solving and how you account for that being something that's accessible to all. But I mean, it's tremendous to see the business impact that can happen from being more inclusive as well, right? I mean, this is not just a uh, an aspirational or feel-good thing, right? I mean, uh, you know, one of the areas that's been super interesting is watching you know, what a company like Netflix has done in their investing in really diverse content and seeing how those yeah. shows have been adopted, 
you know? So what do you have? Oh yeah, go ahead, ma'am. I mean, diversity was, now that you mentioned Netflix, right? Uh, I just remembered a few things from my past life. Like, I mean, Viacom did, Viacom CBS did a lot of things in that, in this area, especially diversity, even from hiring. Because I remember our panels had to be diverse. So you cannot just have a panel full of four, four men. Like you had to have like two women plus two men. Like it had to be 50%, 50-50 for everything. Um, lots of ethnic kind of minorities. Like we did lots of different campaigns to, uh, you know, attract um, ethnic, you know, kind of minorities and BME, you know, people from BME backgrounds, et cetera. Um, so I think large organizations, again, bigger budgets, bigger reach, right? Um, especially for an entertainment company, anybody can be your user, right? Anyone, absolutely anybody on the road. So we have to be very mindful of that. Um, and something like MTV, which is like a cool brand and, you know, people look up to MTV to make statements, to make bold statements, right? And to kind of almost decide on these kind of initiatives, right? It's a decision maker, almost big seat on the board. So MTV, we did a lot of things around this. Uh, I still remember now. And um, so I think, yeah, some of the large companies, I guess they have the opportunity to make a change in these kind of things. We had ERGs and, and things like that. Smaller companies, I think it, it can get a little harder because you just have less resources, right? Less people in general. Uh, but I think the product teams of these smaller companies like us, you know, like we probably have a big role to play in this case because we know the users more than anybody else in, in, in the company. And only we, our products interact with the users, right? Because we, we cannot speak to them directly. So through our product design, maybe through our social media channels, et cetera, that's the only way we can reach out to our users and make them feel um, included. I love that. And I think it's a really inspiring thing for, you know, people who are considering a career in product or are reflecting on how they continue to get the most value out of their career in product. Uh, I think it's spot on. You know, sometimes people ask me, well, what does product and diversity or inclusion have to do with it? And you, you really just nailed it, right? I mean, in order to build the product that is going to service your customer base, there's very few of us today who are servicing a customer base that is uh, not not diverse, right? Because the world yes. has changed. And, yeah. um, and so I think that's a nice way to think about our roles and products. Okay. That's fantastic. So, um, I, I have a, a little bit of a switch gears that I'd love to know, you know, kind of what your product makeup looks like at my GP today. How did you set up your team? Why did you do that? You've had such a storied career, you know, what were you trying to do differently at my GP today, um, with your, with the product culture that you're building? So that's a great question. Um, I mean, when I joined the company, we were not, um, I don't think we were very product led. I think I, I mentioned to you. So it was a little bit, yeah, it needed uh, some changes. Um, so I did do a lot of changes, reshuffles and all that early on. Um, and those things are painful. We all know, uh, but it has to be done because you ultimately have to focus your team on, on the real problems, right? So one thing I felt was missing, and this is a problem with a lot of companies, right? Like the focus. Like, what is your focus? You want to do 100 things? Yes, amazing. We all want to do 100 things. But what is what is that top five things that will differentiate you from your competitors, right? Or will take you from step A to step B as a business, right? In terms of revenues or user reach or whatever it could be. So I think that was what I tried focusing on earlier on. Um, and then kind of divided uh, the team. So at the moment, I've got uh, a B2B product team which is focusing, which is clearly focused on catering to uh, our clinicians who are the users. So GPs, practice managers, the CCG, so clinical commissioning groups, basically NHS. So that's NHS facing product group. The second group is consumer. So which is, so they manage the, the MyGP app. 
they are also the ones working on the very exciting uh, uh, the the vaccine passport at the moment, so vaccine certificate, which is yeah. So that team is super duper. They are on a high at the moment, right? So working on a lot of cool things. Uh, then I've got design. I've got design team, um, and then I've got um, data, data science. Uh, and then I have a clinic, a clinician as well. So I've got clinical lead who reports to me. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite full on. Um, so yeah, it's quite quite a full on team at the moment actually. But it's quite smallish. Like the whole, you know, it's it's kind of. I feel we have a lot to grow. Like I still feel like we need. I think I'm sure you feel the same, Tiama, as a CPO. It's like the more you hire, you feel you just need more. It's like, you just need more and more and more. And I still feel we have more products than PMs, unfortunately. So I think this hiring cycle will probably continue for, for a bit. Yeah. More money, more problems, right? Yes. Kind of the same with <laughs> more hires, more problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such good. a competitive, good problems. But again, it's such a competitive market as we were just talking about before this interview. I mean, it's so competitive at the moment to hire, to attract the best product people. Uh, it's a very candidate-led uh, market as well, isn't it? So yeah, it's quite hard. Uh, absolutely. And again, that's something I think super interesting for our listeners. I mean, uh, you know, taking a full circle to NAM in her early days as a, as a product manager versus NAM as CPO today, what do you think was, has changed about, you know, how you hire a PM or how you attract a PM, right? Like, do you think the job purpose that a PM does, I mean, you said earlier, they solve problems, right? Do you think it's changed fundamentally? Like, uh, I'm curious about your thoughts there. I think one thing that has changed is people are not interested People are not driven by the salaries anymore, first of all. I think this is something I have found, especially the younger generation, um, not much driven by the salaries or even the, the overall kind of benefits package or anything. I think they are more interested in what the impact, what their impact will be in the company and how will that job take them into the next stage in their career. Um, so I think people are more ambitious now than before, which which I think is brilliant overall, right, for, for product community in general. So I think this is one thing that has changed. The other thing is I think there is a lot of pressure now on hiring managers, right, because you want to hire smart people, right? But smart people, because they are so smart, they are hot, hot properties in a market, right? So you have, to, and you have to ensure as a hiring manager that you keep them interested in your company and in your team. So how do you do that? Right. So you have to ensure that you constantly have a pipeline of innovative projects to do. Right. Or innovative features to develop, which itself is a uh, is, is a challenge in itself. So I think hiring managers these days, whether you're a head of product or, or CPO director, I think everybody's facing the same problem. Like, how do you keep these smart, bright people engaged? Right. And how do you ensure that they can then bring more smart and bright people in the company? Because it's a it's a virtuous. It can be a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle as well, depending on which side kind of you take. So I think that's probably the biggest retention of candidates more than attraction. I think retention is is the biggest um, challenge at the moment. Absolutely. And have you found, I, I mean, I've heard, you know, saying to them how they're going to make impact. Do you, have you found any good ways to allow them to showcase their impact within the organization? Uh, I mean, especially in something like my BGP, where, mm. as you said, you're still kind of going product led, that might be even more difficult. Yeah. How do you, how do you approach that? 
Yeah, it's super difficult. And in a in transformation type of organization or, or team, it can be quite different because, you know, change is coming, right? So as me as a CPO, I know the change is coming, but then I have to constantly pitch my team probably that, hey, listen, yes, we are doing it this way, but let's wait for Q2 or Q3 or Q4, you know. So I'm constantly being the salesperson as well, selling my my product vision probably, you know, to the rest of the team. So I think that can be, yeah, that can be quite a challenge. Uh, but also I think getting uh, the PM at the front door. I think that's one way to get them motivated, right? So when the PMs talk to the users directly, you know, and listen, you know, see the feedback from the users, right? Or maybe spend some time with the support team and look at some of the customer uh, complaints maybe or, or, or good things that they have to say. I think that way the, the PMs probably feel more accountable for what they do. Um, app reviews, I think, uh, can be amazing. I mean, our app, you know, it's a 4.9-star 4, 4. app, uh, you know, constantly highly rated in the app stores. And most of the reviews are very, very good, very glorious. So I think I constantly, you know, uh, advise and recommend my PMs to look into the app store reviews, et cetera, um, especially if they're down because they look at that and you then you feel like, oh my goodness, like what I'm doing, it actually makes impact uh, on people's lives because in our app, we've got repeat prescriptions and things like that. And there are people out there who rely on repeat prescriptions, you know, people with chronic illnesses, et cetera, et cetera. And, and when you look at what good things they have written about the app, you then realize that you have that aha moment, you know, what I said to you earlier, when I use Babylon for my baby, I realized what we had created before that I actually never realized. So it's the same thing. When you look at these reviews, et cetera, you kind of realize that, okay, I'm doing something amazing. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's such good advice, right? To step back and see the impact you're making. And, and sadly, you know, if you're in a company where you really can't find that, that may be an important thing to understand, right? In terms of if it's the right place for you to be. Yeah. So uh, speaking about impact, we cannot let this interview go without understanding a little bit about what you guys are doing for COVID. This is something that is impacting every single one of our listeners right now. So what's, what's happening in that, in that uh, area of uh, my GP? I mean, there, there's loads. There are two big things. One is the consumer app. I, I mentioned to you already. We are, we are, so my team has been developing the COVID uh, kind of vaccine certificate since January this year. Um, so that's, yeah, we already five or six prints into it and it'll be out in the market very soon. So that is a huge project uh, for us. Uh, the other big thing is more on the B2B side. Uh, we, we have partnered with a number of surgeries. Uh, you know, all the messages that you get that, hey, you know, book your COVID jab or things like that. I haven't seen one yet because I'm not eligible. Say, I'm not getting any <laughs> yeah. of those yet. <laughs> we are we don't even know when you and I would ever receive one of those invites, but but that goes uh, from our system. So so you know all those messages, you know, we send millions and millions of messages that goes into the community uh about various campaigns. You know, COVID is only now, but before that it was cervical screening, flu jab campaigns and all that. So those are things that really makes impact, you know, because you can you can see the impact, right? It's it's a huge, it's an amazing uh, benefit for people to get those messaging and kind of for people to be informed about, you know, what public health uh, is doing for them. Yeah. What an incredible time to be a PM or a part of the PO, you know, the product team um, at your company. Uh, they're, they're really lucky yourself included to be able to be working on something that's so important, right? It's extremely hectic. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, it's very, yeah, I, I think, 
the thing is it's 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 hectic and it's so hectic that you you don't get enough time to i guess enjoy it you know what i mean like as in like think back and it's like oh it, this has been so great but yeah absolutely. now that you t- you say um yeah i do feel i think we are very extremely fortunate um and i mean but the thing is every company i think has something to offer right i mean, i i remember when i was in viacom i remember one of the panels i was doing for product and somebody said what what does what does your company offer what's the impact and i used to say well comedy central we make people laugh i mean you know <laughs> what else right that's an impact right we make people laugh and you know nick nick junior we we keep kids engaged and you know we give uh, parents uh, some free time because the kids are watching nick junior <laughs> somehow trying to kind of create that impact but i think every product if you look deeper into what it does to people i think there is an impact somewhere or the other i think in 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 industries like health education i think the impact is more visible and i think in other industries it's probably a little bit more kind of indirect yeah i would agree with that i would agree with that okay so we're getting to my favorite question of the show um and it's easy to ask you guys maybe if i was asking other people they would think i was a nerd but you you love products so if there was a museum that was dedicated to the best products in the world right or maybe yeah. just the most important products it doesn't have to be you know maybe it's something that we can learn from right what would you say what three products would you say should go into the museum and why oh my god okay i <laughs> This is great. This is a very innovative question first of all. So congratulations for coming coming, you know, with the, with the uh, coming up with the question. Um in terms of when you say uh you know, when you say museum, I'm obviously thinking about hardware now. <laughs> so do I have to be specific to hardware or anything really? No, you can I mean, we've had previous guests answer a piece of driftwood, right? We've had oh, people wow. say birth control pill, right? Yeah. So I think the key here is it gives us a little insight into Nam's mind about what she thinks is a really important or beautiful product. And that could be anything. It could be anything that's been built to solve user or pain points of a, a customer or someone's someone's problems, right? Oh my God. So I think, uh, I think the phone, first of all, uh, a smartphone, let's say iPhone, I think that, that's been a game changer. We all know in all different ways. Um, <laughs> I think the second thing would be, oh gosh, um, I know I sound like a horrific parent now, but YouTube kids. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound horrible. <laughs> you said it earlier. Parents sometimes just need a moment to themselves. Yes, yes, exactly. But I think YouTube kids generally definitely finds a uh, space there. Um, and and I, I will be guessing it's Nickelodeon playing and Peppa and, and Paw Patrol, all, all the Viacom shows playing there. Um, and the third thing I think is the COVID jab. <laughs> Much needed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that, that's a game changer, clearly, at least in the current circumstances. Absolutely. And I love that you call it the jab because uh, I remember when I first moved to London, you know, in America, we don't call it the jab. So I was like, what's the yeah. jab? Like, people are talking about the jab. What's the jab? I'm going for the jab. And now I realize. Uh, for those of you who are not in London or that term doesn't make any sense to you, um, that's a shot or a vaccine. A so. COVID shot. Yeah, a COVID <laughs> shot actually sounds much better. It's a, it's like a tequila shot, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nam, it's been so fun having you today. Thank you for making time in what is a really busy schedule. That's always true for our guests, but you're working on something that is kind of mission critical to society right now. So thanks for making the time to come on the pod. We really loved having you. Thank you so much, Tiama. I loved it. Thank you so much and have a great weekend.
Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product. 